Section 29 of Epic and Romances of the Middle Ages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shashank Jakmola. Epic and Romances of the Middle Ages by Wilhelm Wagner. Section 29. The Hagling Legend 5. Battle and Victory. Before daybreak, one of the maidens stationed herself at the window and gazed anxiously over the sea. After some time, she saw vessels full of armed men approaching the shore, and, with difficulty restraining a cry of joy, she wakened her mistress and told her the good news. Not long after, the alarm was given from the tower, where the sleepy watchman had just woke up. Queen Gerland had her wits about her more than anyone else. She did not need to be told who the enemy were, and had given the requisite orders to the garrison before Ludwig's and Hartmut's eyes were well open. But when the kings were ready, they countermanded her orders, and instead of defending the castle, marched out to meet the foe in spite of all her warnings and entreaties. Each party moved forward to meet the other in close array, and no sooner had they met than the battle began. Ortwin and Hartmut fought hand to hand, and Ortwin had well been overthrown had not bold Horan struck up the Norman spear. But he too was unable to withstand the king, and was soon afterwards carried to the rear by his men, severely wounded. Meantime, Hervik and Ludwig had met, and after a terrible combat, the latter was slain. The king is dead, cried his men, and they fled incontinently, pursued by the victor, strong idled and Siegfried the Moor. The old hero of Sturmland pressed the advantage. His sword arm was never still for a moment, and he was always in the front rank. When the terrified Normans fled to the castle, they found, to their horror, that he was close behind them. They only got the great gate shut just in time, but wait was not to be done. He shouted to his men to bring up ladders and storming tackle, meaning to scale the wall. Harmut, Ignorant of his father's death, had continued to fight bravely till he saw that the Normans were flying. He then retreated slowly to the castle with his immediate followers. Looking up at the battlements, he saw Queen Gerlind giving a man a naked sword and pointing the fierce earnestness to the woman's apartment in the castle. He knew his mother and feared that she was telling the man to go and murder the Hagling women, so he exclaimed in a loud voice of command, Coward! If you raise your hand to murder any woman, I will have you hung before sunset. The men let the sword fall to the ground and slunk away. At this moment, Hartmut, to his intense amazement, caught sight of old Wait at the castle gate. He looked round for help, but Ludwig was nowhere to be seen. On every side waved the banners of the Haglings and their allies, and their foremost men were fast closing round him and his little band. Hartmut was too brave to fly. He prepared to defend himself to the last. The Lord of Sturmland now came forward to attack him, and although he fought desperately, it had gone ill with him if Hervik had not thrown himself in the old warrior's way and pleaded for his rival's life. In the heat of the conflict, Wade did not notice who it was that addressed him. He brought down one of his sledgehammer blows on Hervik's head, and the King of Zealand was stretched unconscious on the ground beside many a dead and dying Norman. This restored the wild lord of Sturmland to his senses. Leaving Hartmut alone, he bent over his friend, and, to his joy, discovered him to be whole and sound. 
As soon as Hervik was on his feet again, Wade asked, What devil possessed you to make me spare the life of that Norman robber? No devil at all, replied Hervik. The noble Gudrun loves the princess Otrun, and, for her sake, begged that Hartmut's life should be spared. Women, women, cried the old warrior. They are all alike. They have soft hearts, as easily moved as a fleecy cloud is blown by the breeze. But now let us haste, and trap the she-wolf in her lair. At length the castle gate was burst open, and the hero of Sturmland cut his way through the small crowd of defenders to the women's apartments. There he found Gudrun surrounded by all the frightened women in the palace, while Ortrun and Gerlin knelt at her feet and entreated her protection. Where is the she-wolf? shouted Wait. Speak, Gudrun, and you others. He was awful to look upon, with his grim, stern face, his armor and sword dripping with the blood of his enemies. But Gudrun did not quail, nor did she utter a single word to betray the cruel woman who had used her so badly. She sat still and quiet, full of a gentle dignity, and looked at the angry old man without blenching. He cast a quick glance round the room in search of Gerland, and as he did so, one of the maidens pointed to the queen. The moment he saw the glittering, snaky eyes, he caught Gerland by the hair, and dragging her to the battlements, cut off her head and flung both it and the body over the wall. Now the other, he cried, rushing up to the terrified Ortrun. She belongs to the serpent's brood, and must share her mother's fate. But Gudrun held the maiden tightly, clasped in her arms, and told the grim warrior of all the love and tenderness that Ortrun had shown her, so Wait was fain to be satisfied with the vengeance he had already wreaked. Meanwhile the fighting outside the castle had also ceased. The Norman hero, weary to death, had surrendered with the eighty warriors that were left him. Three days later, the victorious army went on board with their ships and set sail for the land of the Hegelings, leaving Morung and his men to garrison Cassian. Hartmut and Ortrun, with thirty of her maidens, had to accompany their conquerors. On their way, they touched Wolpensand, where Queen Hildi had had a minster built, and the bones of those who fell in the old fight buried, and there the heroes gave solemn thanks for the great victory. Ortrun sat alone in the churchyard. Looking at the graves, she thought of her slain father and wished that she too were at rest. But Gudrun, coming up to her, took her by the hand and led her to the Moorish king, Siegfried, who desired to gain her love. During the remainder of the voyage, Gudrun managed to throw the much together and delighted in telling Otrun of Siegfried's noble and warlike deeds. In the meantime, Queen Hildi and Hergert, Herwig's sister, often sat together at a window overlooking the sea. The Hegeling army must soon return, but how would it return, and would Gudrun have kept her troth? Hildi was not so hopeful as her young companion, for she was more used to sorrow. One day, when they were at the window as usual, Hergert saw the fleet appear in the distance, and uttering a cry of joy, told Queen Hildi that their friends were coming back. Before the Queen and her ladies could get down to the shore, Wait had already landed. On seeing the queen, he at once told her the good news. The rest of the ships were not long in arriving, and soon Hilde had the pleasure of embracing her daughter, the long-lost Gudrun. Time passed on, and joy reigned in every breast but one. Hartmut ate out his soul in sadness. Gentle Hergard pitied him, 
and begged Queen Hildy to use her influence to have him set at liberty and allowed to return to his kingdom. But Hildy explained how impossible it was to let a man go free who was sure to bear them deadly enmity and attack them when he could. Hartmut one day by accident overheard Hergert pleading for him so tenderly and so wisely that he was deeply touched. He began to think that she was, if possible, even more beautiful than Gudrun and took the first opportunity he could find of speaking to her. It was not long before they learned to love each other. Hartmut told the queen about it and asked for her consent to his marriage with Hergert, which she at once granted and, at the same time, give him back his sword and freedom, for the husband of sweet Hergert could never be aught else than the friend of the Haglings. A few weeks later, a great marriage feast was held, in which four couples appeared before the altar to receive a priestly blessing on their vows, after which they adjourned to the banqueting hall, where all old scores were forgiven and forgotten for the sake of the happiness that now prevailed. Then the old minstrel, Horand, took up his harp and sang his last song. In it, he told of the great deeds he had known. He sang of noble lives and noble deaths, of truth and constancy. And when he ceased, there was not a dry eye in the hall, for even the grim lord of Sturmland was seen to dash away a tear. End of section 29